Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. ROI offers content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, web and mobile design, and more for businesses of all sizes. As your business development partner and marketing agency, they help you tell your story. Learn more at ROIOnline.com. This episode is also sponsored by Excel Energy. The weather's already warming up, which means we're just a few weeks away from the heat. The good news is that, as of May 1st, Excel Energy electricity prices are going down. Before we get to eight straight, I'll tell you why. Today's guest is Jake McWarder. Jake is the lead arborist with Arborological Inc., a local company that provides residential and commercial tree care and turf care in Amarillo. It started in Amarillo. They've expanded since then across the Panhandle and the South Plains region. And you, you might see one of this company's aerial lift trucks out, you know, working on a tree, cutting down branches or whatever, and think, well, those are tree guys, just like anybody with a lawnmower is a yard guy. But when you talk to somebody like Jake, you get a sense uh, not just of the the physical effort that it takes to do what he does, but the scientific knowledge that's so essential to his work. I mean, it's more than just a bunch of dudes with chainsaws. Around here, people love trees. We talk about that in this episode. And with spring in full bloom, I thought it would be fun to talk to a legit expert. Way, way more than just a tree guy. So here's Jake McWhorter. Okay, Jake McWhorter, thanks for being on Hey Amarillo. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good to be here, Jason. So um, I want to talk about trees and I want to talk about your work, your career. Um, But before we do that, I I want to find out how you ended up in this area. So tell me your story. Okay. Okay. Well, I was actually born in Lubbock and we moved up to Amarillo when I was about five or six years old and grew up here. So, you know, I went to Paramount, Austin, Tascosa, did the whole normal high school thing, you know, going to church groups and going on church trips and playing soccer, just kind of did the whole thing. And then my mom has a passion for trees. She has a passion for outdoors. And therefore my dad does as well because, you know, obviously mm-hmm. he has, he's got to go that's, along with that's it. That's smart. Yeah, that's, that, that's smart. So we grew up backpacking and um, fishing and, you know, just going all out in different places in Colorado and just really everywhere. And, so I decided to get a forestry degree um, when I was pretty young. It was freshman, sophomore in high school. I said, I'm going to get a forestry degree. That's what I want to do. And I moved away, went down to Stephen F. Austin, down Nacogdoches, and just absolutely thought I would never come back to this area. It was like, okay, I'm gone. I'm going to live in the mountains. This is what I'm going to be a park ranger. I don't know, you know. So found out that you can't make any money being a park ranger or a wildlife guy or just about anything else as it relates to forestry in general. So I saw my uh, my boss, Kelly Sims, at the Texas Tree Climbing Championships one year. We were volunteering, and it said Amarillo Arborological on the side of his truck. And I said, that's crazy. And I went and talked to him, and he said, you've got a job if you need one when you graduate. And I called him two years later and got a job. So that was when you were in college. You that actually was, met Kelly. Met him while I was in college, yeah. And uh, he was competing at the Texas Tree Climbing Championships. And um, I, it was just awesome to see guys climbing trees. He had a lot of passion for it. And a lot of the guys working there, you know, working the event and competing had a lot of passion for it. So I said, I think I'd like to do that. And when, I, call, I called Kelly and I've been here ever since 13 years. So what was the fascination with trees? I mean, for a kid who grew up here in this area, 
you know, there, there aren't a ton of trees. You're, you're not in a forest, you know, other than going to the mountains for backpacking. So right. what was it that said, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to get a forestry degree. I think it's more of a fascination with the natural world than just trees themselves. Um, I did have a little help. My uncle is from here too, and he got a forestry degree from Colorado State, and he now lives up in Oregon. And he's had a really neat career doing different things in the forest industry. Now he's in forest products and he's basically a chemist for um, glues that go into plywoods and stuff. So he's got a really cool job. He breaks, like he breaks boards and he breaks plywood. He's got this huge room. That's just the demolition room. And that's what he does for a living. I think so. I've always kind of liked what he did. So I think it's more of a fascination with the natural world. And that's basically what forestry is. You're, you're learning about the whole ecosystem from, the weather to the soil to the animals and plants and fauna that go into that forest ecosystem. And then ultimately how do I make this tree grow better, bigger and faster so I can cut it down and make forest products out of it. So that's forestry in a nutshell. Now trees is actually taking care of that tree, not to cut it down, but for the use of shade next to the house, windbreak, whatever. So it's just kind of a different use than traditional forestry. And you you said that you didn't really think you were ever going to come back to Amarillo. So was I mean I, I understand the appeal of having a job. Kelly saying you can come work for me. I mean that that's a good draw. But was was there a point where you came to terms with okay this is I'm not going to go to Oregon or I'm not going to live in the mountains, but I'm going to stay here in Amarillo and do this. Yeah, I, and I think it was really becoming interested in that urban side of forestry. Um, that led me that Emerald would be an okay place to live. Also, when I moved away from here, I realized that the people here are fa- fantastic. That's ultimately why I said, okay, I really, Amarillo, the panhandle in general, is a great place to live because people, you know, nothing, no dog in East Texas or anything, but the people are just different. And everywhere I've traveled and visited, this is probably the nicest place as far as the people go. So that was that was a big deal to me, and so, my and I've got a bunch of family here too. So right. That, that, but moving away, real I realized, you know, what I had here. Tell me about. Um, I I think a lot of people might, maybe just because we live in the Panhandle and and we have an idea of what Texas is because it's where we are. But you know, don't often think of Texas having schools that you know teach forestry. Sure. Or of East Texas, you know, being a forested area. Sure. Uh, so tell me about, you know, I'd, obviously you have to go far away to do that, but you didn't go to Colorado. You didn't go to Oregon. You went to East Texas. So tell me about that area. So East Texas is really unique. Um, you know, it's it's one of the, uh, what how many eco regions we have, but it's the Piney Woods. So if you kind of start at Tyler and then go all the way down to, let's just say Houston, that area really, it should be, if, you, if you're thinking of it geographically, it really should fit into Louisiana better than it fits into Texas. It's Flooded swamps, bunch of rivers, bunch of creeks, lakes. I mean, it is literally the piney woods. There's there's uh, pine plantations everywhere. There's pine forests. It's a really unique area. And Stephen F. Austin has the. They were established in 1923. They have probably one of the best forestry programs in the in the nation. Much less, you know, the only one in the state of Texas truly dedicated to forestry. Texas A&M has a has a great program, um, but they actually came over to our field camp every other year our summer field camp. So they didn't have their own um, field studies program. So I think in, as far as Texas goes, it's definitely the best. And it's one of the best, it's one of the best Southern forestry colleges anywhere. Colorado state was a big draw to me, but the out of state tuition would have, would have eaten me up. And I'm glad 
that, you know, I did have to pitch in for my education. Um, if I had had it all paid for, I probably would have gone to Colorado state and who knows where I would have been, you know, I've got my wife, got my kids, you know, so it just all kind of works out like it's supposed to work out, I guess. So one of the things that, that we end up talking about that I've talked about with guests who used to live someplace else and come to Amarillo, one of the things they always miss are the trees. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have grown up anywhere other than, you know, the arid highlands or, or whatever yeah. we have. So tell me about being a, a guy with a forestry degree and living in a place that is not known for having hardly any trees at all. Right. So, well, for one, I'm blessed that I get to see the coolest places in the panhandle because most people don't get to see the ranches that I get to go see. So there's actually some really neat areas in this in this area that have awesome trees and you just not believe them, but it's all private land. So we have very, very little public land in Texas in general, and especially the panhandle. I mean, can you think of public land? We've got Lake Meredith, Palladar Canyon, that's it, right? So I get to see really, really neat places. Um, and, you know, number two, the limiting resource here is trees and it's water, right? So people, as far as from a business standpoint, Trees are very valuable to people, and so therefore they will really, they really want to take care of them, and they'll really, they'll really pay to have that done. Mm-hmm. If you go to East Texas, people, there's no, you know, there's not really a lot of arborists. There's people who cut down trees, but there's there's a tree right next to it. So right, you, you don't really need that care. Nobody's planting trees. You're removing trees if you want to. You're live removing someplace. trees. Yeah, yeah. People people here plant trees around their lot. People down there or anywhere else in the southern U.S. or in Colorado, for that matter, they clear the trees and then build, right? Because that's not the limiting resource. The limiting resource is open space. Um, so it's it's kind of different. Anywhere in the Plain States, all the way from here up to, you know, Nebraska, North Dakota, I mean, this that's where people can actually make money taking care of trees, mm-hmm. where they're the limited resource. Everywhere else, you make money using those trees for the other forest products, for the other resources that they can provide. Uh, you, you mentioned some of the places that you've seen where there are some you know spectacular areas, and, and those are trees that are growing naturally. Sure. Um, so tell me about the kinds of trees that grow naturally. Is it like a creek bed with cottonwoods in it and, and that sort of thing? Is that about all we've got? That's exactly right. Yeah, creek beds. Um, and some of the neater areas are, are where people have actually planted trees. So these old um, homesteads, these old ranch headquarters, that people have planted trees and it's just been like a hundred years and now they're phenomenal. So, I mean, you can create your own forest. You can create your own, a really neat landscape. If you just go ahead and do it. The thing with trees is it takes time. Corn, you grow, you remove it next year and you've got your corn with trees, like a loblolly pine down in East Texas, you grow it for 35 years. So that, that, uh, rotation, that cycle is one year or 35 years. So trees, you got to get going now. If you want a tree, you're going to be planting that tree for your grandkids. So just get, you know, just get on it. But in the natural areas, yeah, it's creek beds. It's, it always has to do with water. So where we've got water, we can grow trees. So usually creek beds, lakes, um, springs, low areas, that's where we've got our natural trees. And I've, I've heard you talk before about working with trees in a place like Amarillo and refer to it as an urban forest. I don't think anybody would look at Amarillo and think the word forest um, by any means, but talk to me about that concept. I mean, what do you, what do you see? Sure. So, I mean, um, all a forest is, is a stand of trees um, that has its own ecosystem involved with it. So there's not a lot of areas in Amarillo that have an, a true urban forest, but if you look at 
if you're just coming in Amarillo and you see a new neighborhood, like you're coming up I-27 um, going north, and you see kind of the new neighborhoods, um, you'll notice you can see all the rooftops. Um, and then as you get deeper into town, deeper into town, you can't see the rooftops, you see the treetops. So urban forest, you know, we've got we've got squirrels in town, we've got raccoons, we've got possums, we've got all kinds of wildlife associated in the urban landscape and numerous, numerous birds. So if you go over to Wolfland, then you really get a sense of an urban forest. And that urban forest stretches up into Bivens, stretches over down into Paramount, and then it, you keep going over to Puckett, into Belmar, into Olson, you know, all those areas. Kind of the the older, more established, really nicer parts of town have actually have an urban forest. You know, the difference between, you know, the very southwest tip of Amarillo where all these nice new houses are going versus Wolfland in a, in a, in a day temperature wise could be 10 degrees less. Um, the wind wise could be 10 to 15 miles per hour less. So that urban forest can also in, influence the, the microclimate within it as well. So if we need, if we need work like two or three days, it might be 30, 40 miles an hour winds. And then we have a couple of nice days. Well, if it's going to be 34, 40 miles an hour, we're going to be working over there in Wolfland or Bivens if we can, because the wind is so such greatly reduced. It's, it's fantastic. Tell me about the work you do as an arborist. I would think that there's a lot more to it. People see arborists or they see uh, an Emerald Arborological truck and, you know, mm-hmm. they're trimming trees or cutting down limbs or something like that. Tell me about what you do, you know, the things that people don't necessarily see. Sure. So, of course, you know, that's that's kind of what, you know, the glamour part of the job, I guess, if you if you like climbing trees pruning trees, removing trees, doing all that, all the stuff that people associate with the normal tree guy, um, just your regular tree guy. Um, one thing we really like to focus on is the soil um, and the health of that soil. So we're doing uh, deep root fertilizations, big deal, my favorite deal to do, um, vertical mulching. We're, we're really taking care of the soil so that the trees can grow well. Um, because they're not meant to be here. I've got a yard that's got a Colorado blue spruce, and on the other side of the yard, there's a southern magnolia. So we're talking seed source, provenance, where those trees naturally grow is like 900 miles away mm-hmm. from each other. And we're trying to put them right next to each other. So we have to make sure that that soil suits the, that specimen. So a lot of a lot of soil replacement, a lot of soil um, trying to alter the pH a little bit to make it more suitable for the host. A lot of stuff like that. So it's more doctoring than anything else is what I personally do and a diagnosing what's wrong with this tree. Um, and it's usually comes back to the soil being poor for trees. It's great for grass, but well, why is deep root fertilization your favorite thing to do? Why do you like that? Well, because we're, we're helping, we're giving the trees the nutrients they need to survive and thrive. And we're also, we're also creating aeration in the root zone because we're putting that that liquid in there at such a high pressure. So it's actually, it's just like, you know, aerating your yard, but you're aerating the root zone of the tree. Just makes that soil just so much better. I mean, you wouldn't just grab, you know, just caliche and put it in your front garden bed and then put flowers in it, right? right. You amend it, you make it more suitable so your flowers are amazing. We're trying to do that for the same exact thing for trees. Deep root fertilization is probably our best tool to do that. Tell me about some of the challenges that, that people face planting a tree here. I understand that it's probably one of the most optimistic things you can do mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. thinking, all right, 30 years from now, this might be something, but it's going to be a really hard 
30 years for this tree. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, what, what are, uh, the water is obvious, but, but what are some of the challenges that a tree faces? Well, most, most people don't plant the tree properly to begin with. Um, and that's, so most people plant trees way too deep in the ground. That's just number one. Um, most people don't pull the burlap back and see where that root flare is and plant that root flare a little above grade or at least level with grade. They plant it way too deep. And it's the first Google image you search, how to properly plant a tree. That's, that's the Google image I use in my presentations on how to plant a tree. So it's not hard. People are just ignorant of it because it's not a known skill that we have because we don't have trees. So people just go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or they go to another big box store and they grab a tree and they put it in the ground. Well, that tree might be from Monrovia Nursery in California. So it's not going to do good here. Just because somebody sells a tree here doesn't mean that it's a good tree for our area. Picking the right tree for the right place, planting the tree properly are probably the two most important things. We can plant these fantastic lace bark elms all over town, but we don't need to plant them under power lines. You know, so I mean, that's, oh, that's great. They planted those trees. And I'm looking at it like, yeah, but in 15 years, mm-hmm. we're going to have to get that cleared because there's a power line right there. And Excel's not going to let your tree grow into their power line because you're going to be griping at them if your power goes out. So what's more important, their tree or your power? Your power is more important, right? So let's plant the right trees in the right place. Just a, just a simple Google Google search on how to properly install a tree is probably would probably fix... 90% of the problems that we have with trees and might even put me out of business. You know what I mean? Are there, um, you know, once you get a tree established, uh, you know, you guys are still doing that doctoring kind of thing sure. to make sure that it doesn't get any diseases or anything like that. So is, is there something, you know, say you've got a, a tree that's been pretty well established five mm-hmm. years or something like that. What's it facing at that point? I mean, what are some of the, the problems that it might deal with? Yeah, just just proactive, that proactive doctoring. We call it plant health care, proactive plant health care. So, you know, at least a couple of fertilizations a year, deep root fertilizations, and then um, maybe some systemic insecticide, depending on if, like red oaks here have a big problem with scale. So we like to get systemic insecticides on those. Just being proactive with that, not only with that, but but here we have trees that are very open grown, they have no competition. Like in the forest, they're, they're growing up right next to each mm-hmm. other. So what we want to try to do is mimic nature, mimic that competition. We want to make sure we're pruning those trees aggressively when they're young because they can take it. Because we don't want these low branches un, you know, six feet from the ground to get big. And we know that branch is temporary. We know we're going to have to take it off at some point in the tree's life. So might as well do it when it's small rather than when it's big. So being proactive with that, with that regular, we call it training pruning, mm-hmm. just like a kid. You got to train your kid how to not vomit all over everything in the restaurant every time you go, right? So we want to do the same thing with our trees. We want to train our trees. People and trees are, if you, you can make, you know, you can make so many relatable, make people understand it easier. So a five-year-old tree that you planted it's pretty similar to, you know, a five, 10 year old kid, you know, so you've got to, you've got to do a bunch of stuff. You've got to help it along mm-hmm. and get it established and get those branches up and get it trained. Right. Because if, if it's just growing in a yard by itself, it's going to grow horizontally. Almost right. like the, the branches are going to come out too low, too wide, instead of growing up like it might in a forested area. That's right. It's unnatural to have an open grown tree um, because trees where they naturally grow are in a forest setting. So they have light competition. So it's unnatural. People, people are like, well, I want it to be natural. Well, that's then don't plant a tree in Amarillo. Yeah, that's not natural. 
So we have to mimic nature. And that's that's really all we're doing as an arborist. We're mimicking nature with our deep root feeds. That's nutrient recycling that we don't get. We're mimicking nature with our pruning. If you're doing it properly, you really are mimicking lights light, and light competition. So you're taking off low branches, you're lightening the ends. Taking off another low branch the next year and lightening the ends. So you're encouraging that tree to grow up as much as possible mm-hmm. and not out. Is there something that most homeowners do that is that they don't even think about that can be pretty harmful to trees? I mean, like overwatering or, or something like that. Overwatering is a big deal, especially if you have uh, if you have fescue um, and it's in the middle of the summer and you're really trying to keep that fescue looking awesome. You're probably watering too much. So trees require deep but infrequent irrigation. Turf requires frequent but but not very mm-hmm. not very deep irrigation. So it's it's opposite. One thing you can do for your for your trees, and it'll actually help your turf out, is just water a little less frequently, but water a little longer and water a little deeper. So that that'll get your fescue set up to perform better in the summer because it's got a deeper, deeper set of roots. And so it's tapping into deeper moisture that's not getting dried out, you know, by our convection oven we get here in the summer. Mm-hmm. 90 degrees and 30 mile an hour winds just dries everything out. Another thing is with, like I said, with those young trees, people will tend to clean them out, really thin them out and clean them out and get all those sprouties out, but they never take those low branches off. I feel like people think that that, you know, that tree canopy is going to grow up and that branch is going to be there. But if you put a nail in a tree, that nail is going to be there in 50 years. It's going to be there in 150 years. That level of that nail is never going to change. So I think people have a conception that, you know, you go pick out that tree in a nursery and that tree is going to be up in the air. It doesn't grow like grass. That's how grass grows. Trees mm-hmm. trees stack on each other. You know, the growth is like stacking cups. Right. Stacking cups. That third cup is always going to be the third cup. So you've got to take those low branches off. I think people get a little too attached to a branch on their tree sometimes and they just leave it. Tell me about tree climbing, because I I know that, um, you know, your company that you work for, you guys do a lot of competitions and stuff like that. that Most people probably don't know that you do or know is even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that, that kind of world. So tree climbing is uh, the way, uh, the safest way to do it. And that's the, that's why we do it is uh, rope and saddle climbing. It's very similar to rock climbing. Um, And there's a lot of applications that have been coming out of the rock climbing world and especially the caving world that have really helped tree climbing kind of take that next step. But the Texas Tree Climbing Championship is put on by International Society of Boriculture, ISA Texas. And the problem with it for us is that they usually hold it down in Waco, Austin, Dallas, sometimes Houston. So we're kind of in a bubble up here, but we like to go down every year and compete. Um, I did it for about eight Eight years, I did. I did the Texas Tree Climbing Championship. It's really fun. So you have events that simulate different acts of tree climbing. So it's actually pretty applicable. You have a throw line event, which is installing your line into the tree. You have a footlock event, which is going straight up a rope. So it, it simulates climbing a large tree. A belayed speed climb, where you're actually belayed and you're just free climbing the tree, but you have a little harness on. Mm-hmm. So it's simulating actually like what you would think of climbing a tree, like grabbing the branches and climbing up and hitting a bell as fast as you can. So that's, that's usually the most fun. And then there's a work climb where you move around in a tree and you're judged on your speed, your movement, your safety, and you're, you're using a handsaw to hit a bell. You're using a pole saw to hit a bell. Um, you're walking out on a branch and not trying to um, make the buzzer go off when it hits a bucket down below you. So you're trying to keep all your weight off the branch. Okay. 
So that's a fun. And then there's like a log toss out of the tree. So you're simulating not hitting somebody's house and hitting a target from the tree. So that's that's fun. And then there's the aerial rescue. And you guys have performed pretty well in those. Yeah, we do years. pretty good. I've I've never uh, I've never made it to the Masters Challenge myself, but we have we've got a guy Jimmy Soche. He's made it to the Masters Challenge three or four times. Uh, Kelly, our our owner, um, back in the day, he won multiple you know single events, and he made it to the Masters. So I did win the throw line one year, which is which is kind of my claim as the best throw line of the throw line champion in the state of Texas. So that was awesome. Is are are those skills that you get to use pretty regularly, or is stuff like bucket trucks? I mean, does that keep keep you from having to actually climb a tree as often as you'd like. Yeah, I mean, for safety, you know, for safety's sake, we like to use the lifts as much as we possibly can. Um, it also enables guys that are getting kind of old mm-hmm. that can't really climb as effectively as they used to, um, to to perform that work. But there's a lot of backyard situations. Um, there's a lot of real tight situations that you still need that climbing. So, yeah, we've got a guy... We've got a guy in his rope and saddle every single day doing something somewhere. I want to talk about some of the actual work that you've done. I, I, a lot of people can think of it in terms of, well, I've got this tree in my yard that needs to be trimmed. Mm-hmm. But you guys have done like extensive work at, say, Amarillo Country Club or, or places that really needed a bunch of help given to the trees, whether it was building or remodeling or something like that. So tell me about one of those jobs where you guys really had to do it an extensive amount of, of tree work. Sure. So like on the plant healthcare side, uh, Amarillo Country Club is a really good example because they did the course remodel. And so they go through almost two years of no water during a drought to another year of crazy cranking the water to it. Um, to grow the grass. To back. grow that grass back. And so there's a lot, especially the evergreens, the pine trees out there were really stressed. So getting those things back to normal was was pretty tough so a lot of spraying a lot of direct trunk injections and and if you if you've never been out there just drive around it a couple times real slow and try to count the number of pine trees i mean it's just it's a staggering amount of trees and it's really one of the neatest places in town as far as trees go another place um, well ranches are really unique in that they've got all these overgrown over mature cottonwoods that need to be removed and then we need to start that process back over. So removing some of these big trees may require um, even a crane because it's over the house. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to, you know, climb off, climb off the tree, cut a huge section out, and the crane is attached to the crane. The crane lifts it up over the house and sets it back down out in the driveway. And then we've got guys over there cutting huge sections enough to pick up with a skid loader and putting them in a dumping truck. I mean, just this huge process to get a tree out. And then replanting that area so it'll be similar to what it was with that tree, um, you know. So I think it's always good stewardship to, if you're removing trees, you need to be replacing them. Like I said, all with trees, all it just takes time. It takes time. Are there certain kinds of trees that you find yourself recommending more than others? You know, if somebody wants to plant a tree here and they want a good shade tree, I mean, what... What kinds of trees do well in this area? Sure. So um, lace bark elms do really well if you need a fast-growing tree. My favorite one for this area would be a cedar elm because they're a little bit tougher than most trees. Cedar elms, and they grow great here. Of course, locusts work very well. Um, Shade master locusts. Sycamores do pretty good. Bald cypresses do pretty good. Bur oaks do pretty good. Red oaks do pretty good. So you can get – I mean, my short list is probably like 10. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can go to a nursery and you can find 30. 
So, uh, you know, there's a, there's definitely trees you want to stay away from in the urban landscape, like cottonwoods, willows. Um, mulberry is actually a great tree. They're hard to find now. But anything that's going to grow really fast usually has great benefits for the first 10 to 15 years. But then it just ends up being a big nightmare. You know, a couple thousand dollar removal. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're going to have to end up removing that big cottonwood. And then, you know, you, you said you didn't really think that you would end up here. Um, now you've been here, what, 15 years or something like that. So sure. tell me about career-wise. Do you do you think that you're here now, you know, and as long as your kids are being raised here and that sort of thing? Or do you ever see yourself wanting to get back into a, an actual forest setting? No, I don't think so. I, I think I am going to be here because because I do have my ties or my roots are way too deep here to even think about going anywhere. Um, my parents are here. My wife's parents are here. I've got a brother here. I've got a cousin here. My wife has a sister here. She's got another sister here. I mean, it's, we're, we're pretty as we've got pretty deep roots here. So I might go retire somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere different, but it would be too hard. I mean, I think the, the people are more important than the place for me right now. I, I do have two kids and I just, I can't imagine moving them halfway across the country, across from Nana and across from Momsy. Yeah. I just, it, it wouldn't be fair to them. And we're very, we're in close proximity to a bunch of d- neat different places, right? So you can go, you can go to Colorado, you can go over and see the desert, you can go to Utah, um, you can go to New Mexico, you can see some really neat places over there. You can go south and you can be in the hill country in a day. You can go back east and you can be in some really neat forests that people don't even think about, the Wichita Mountains wildlife preserve and then if you keep going the Wachita mountains over in eastern oklahoma they're amazing creeks rivers so i mean we're real close we're we're a pretty good jumping off spot for a bunch of different places you can hit almost anything from amarillo you can hit some really neat places in a day so it's it's a good spot to be it's a good central location for my outdoor pursuits for what i like to do and plus you're in a place where you know trees are so valuable the the thing that you've dedicated your career to you know you're not cutting them down you're making sure they stick around right right yeah that make and it's a big deal to me because i don't i don't mind forestry i really don't i mean if we need we need wood to make that door right there Mm -hmm. right we need i do uh after school programs for kids sometimes and the amount of stuff that is made out of wood i say what's made out of wood and they start thinking and looking around i mean just almost everything so i don't mind forest products i don't mind that whole side of it but i do like i do get the satisfaction of taking a tree that was doing terribly and making it better and that gratification even if i don't actually get it from that customer but just that personal gratification of driving by it two or three years later and looking at it it's like that's awesome yeah you know that that gives me a lot of personal gratification yeah Content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, branding, web and mobile design. If if you have a small business or a large business, you have probably heard these terms. You hear them all the time in the context of things you probably need to be doing. But if you're like most business owners, you don't have the time or the manpower or the expertise to focus on this stuff. I've got a background in the marketing industry and rest assured, they're correct. Marketing is crucial in today's business climate. But it can be overwhelming if you don't know much about it. That's why you should join forces with ROI Online. ROI believes your marketing should make you money. Their team of experts will partner with you to shape your company's marketing and your culture, but they're more than just a marketing agency. You can think of them as your business development partner. They'll help tell your story so you can connect with customers and get ahead of your competition. So become a partner. 
create a plan, and grow your business. To learn more about how ROI Online can position your business for the future, visit ROIOnline.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. So let's talk about electricity. I typically don't think about Excel Energy because, well, I'm sitting at my computer all day and as long as it's on, I'm happy. The only time I think about our electric company is when they send the reminder email that my electricity bill has automatically drafted. But as we approach the heat of late spring and early summer, the good folks at Excel Energy tell me that their rates are going down thanks to a big drop in the cost of natural gas. That's what fuels their power plants and the efficiencies of new and upgraded power lines, which means my bill will be lower than usual. Typical residential customers like me can expect a 6% drop in costs starting this month, which means your June bill might be about $7 less than your May bill. Now that's based on 1,000 kilowatt hours of usage, and at my house, with two teenagers at home, we actually use more than that, so more savings. Local businesses will see an overall monthly decrease in their bill of anywhere from 8 to 14%. For the average business, that's over $100 in savings every month, about 9% drop. That's good timing, especially if, like most of us, you just now turned on the air conditioner. So when the next heat wave hits, I'll be thankful. Learn more about your electric company at ExcelEnergy.com and on Facebook at Excel Energy Texas. Okay, we're back with Jake McWhorter from Amarillo Arborological. Jake, this is the part of the show that I call Eight Straight. So I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you'd like to. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first one, and this is not a question I've asked anybody, but I, I thought it was appropriate for you. What's your favorite kind of tree just in general? In general, I have I have some very specific actual favorite trees, but I think in general, like as would, as a species of tree, as say. a species, it'd have to be ponderosa pine, um, just because of where they grow, um, kind of mid elevation in the Rocky Mountains. It's usually the prettiest places you can possibly be. That's where a ponder, in my opinion, that's where a ponderosa pine is growing. Okay, so for people in Amarillo who think of a pine tree and they just think of any sort of evergreen tree. How do you identify a ponderosa pine opposed to like a, a spruce or something else? The bark's real kind of nice and light and flaky, and it smells like vanilla. It's wonderful. The, a ponderosa pine forest. Picture if, you, if you've seen John Wayne in The Cowboys. That was filmed near Pagosa Springs, just, north, just outside of Pagosa Springs, that big valley at the end. That's what I'm talking about, that big ponderosa pine valley. So... Pine trees are hard to identify from, you know, you have to just look up, find a cone, look up the cone, and that's mm-hmm. usually how you can do it. But it smells like vanilla. It's, okay. it's wonderful. So go go sniff the trunk. Go and see sniff what it the, like. go hug the tree, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask about the, the best tree in Amarillo. Like, do you have a favorite specific tree growing someplace in Amarillo? And, you know, if, if you don't want to say it's at this person's house, but right. kind of give us an idea of what it is and where it is. Yeah, there's a couple cool ones, and I don't think the the Bivens Foundation, I don't think they would mind. Of course, you can't just walk around their property, but they've got a a beautiful, beautiful American elm on the back of their property um, over there on uh, 16th. It's where Mary E. Bivens used to live. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look that big because the property is so big, but if you really go back there and look at that tree, it's amazing. Um, so, How old is it? Do you have a sense? Yeah, I, I bet they could tell you exactly. I've, uh, one of the one of the guys who works there showed me a picture of that house being built, um, and there's cattle in the pasture next to it, and there's all these little tiny trees. So, I think probably early early 1900s mm-hmm. is when that when that Bivens house was actually built, 
Um, and then, of course, Bivens came along after that. There used to be an old airport strip out there yeah, down yeah. Julian Street. That's what that was. It was an airport strip. So let's just say 100 years old probably. Okay. So wonderful. And there's there's some neat trees in Wolfland too. There's one on Lipscomb that probably a lot of people have done any walking in Wolfland have noticed this tree before. It's another American elm. Just absolutely unique, brilliant, huge canopy. Takes up almost the whole yard. A lot of those trees in the Wolfland area or elms that yes. were planted, you know, when that area was developed. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. So they're Chinese or Siberian elms, which most of them were planted. Um, and the guy, the story goes, and uh, they planted a bunch of trees, and then the guy went around with like a literal like horse and wagon water cart and mm-hmm. watered all the trees and kept them alive. While that just by was bucket, you know, nobody had yeah running just, water or hoses or yeah, anything it was like just that. like a big like a like a wagon cart that he watered them with. So. Let's get away from trees for a second. What's, sure. what's your all-time favorite local restaurant? Oh man, that's tough because I do like to I do like to eat. Um, I'd say Sharky's Burrito. Okay, you can't beat Sharky's Burrito. Sharky's was like I had Sharky's before I'd even heard of Chipotle or anything like oh, that. Oh yeah, I mean, most people here, and then yeah. Chipotle moves in and like nobody goes to it. So <laughs> it, it, well, it's like the I mean, it's like donut stop and Krispy Kreme. Yeah, right? it's like well, that's I mean that's fine if you want to bring Krispy Kreme, but you know the donut stops where it's at. You yeah. Know? What does this area have too much of? I think, honestly, we're just talking about food. I think we probably have too many restaurants. There's Just because there's not a whole lot of other stuff to do. So we're always like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Just go out to eat. You know, what do you want to do? Let's go get something to eat. You know, there's not a whole lot to do, honestly, that I, I mean, that you haven't done five times already right. this year. Either you have to go somewhere else to do something neat or go out to eat. Restaurants become our entertainment. They do. They do. What does this area not have enough of? Uh, well, being outdoor minded and I mean, I love anything outside. I don't feel like we have enough diversity in outdoor spaces. So we have a bunch of, I mean, you can go to the park, we you can go to the playground. I'm thinking about my kids too. There's just not a whole lot of diverse things you can do outside. We don't have, we don't have near enough water, not near enough lakes. I mean, if I mm-hmm. want to go fishing, I have to go. I have to drive an hour at least. Right. And to do some great fishing, I've got to drive two or three hours. I don't see why we couldn't have a neat little city lake that was actually managed as a fishery and you could rent a kayak and go fishing. I mean, that would be cool. If you've been down to Austin, I mean, they've got all kinds of neat stuff. They've got dog parks and mm-hmm. hiking trails and you can rent kayaks wherever you want to go. And there's great fishing if you want to rent a kayak and go. So I don't think we have enough diverse outdoor activities here. Yeah, I I see the the city lakes, you know, the the small ponds and the parks, and I I do think that pretty often that I'd love to get out there on a kayak. I mean, not always a great lake, you yeah, know, or a pond by any yeah. means, but or a paddleboard or something. I mean, just uh-huh. because, yeah, you do see those those photos of people in in Austin doing it, and just you know, it it seems fun. I've done it before, but I've never done it locally. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, that there could be some room in there for some you know privatization. Somebody mm-hmm. could run run one of those you could the city wouldn't have to pay for that just set up a guy with a yeah. you know a vendor you know one of these local out, outdoor elements or bike shops or something could do something cool with that you know just something a little more diverse take down all the signs that say no swimming no voting <laughs> right right what's uh what's your favorite kind of amarillo weather well it's my grandpa's favorite weather he said 75 with light wind because you can you can wear whatever you want to you can wear long pants and long sleeves you can wear shorts and a t-shirt um for me, I like fishing um, and I like being outside. So the least amount of wind as possible. And I don't like it when it's hot. So I'd say 75. Okay. What was the, or when was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? 
Well, I drive by it all the time. Actually walking out there, oh, probably 15 years. Really? Yeah. You have walked out there in the past. I have walked out there, yeah. But it's been a long time. It's usually if somebody from, you know, one of my buddies comes in from Dallas or, you know, I've got a buddy that's from Mississippi that the farthest east he had been was Nacogdoches. Mm-hmm. And so he when he came up here, he wanted to go to the Cadillac Ranch. That was probably the last time, but that was, you know, that was probably 15 years ago. Okay. So. And then uh, I, I don't know if you'll, an, you'll answer this or not, but um, I, I want you to pick a team, Pack-A-Sack or Totem. A Pack-A-Sack inside, and I like, but I'll get my gas to Totem. Why inside of Pack-A-Sack? I just, I don't know. I just get a good vibe. Um, and we used to get our fuel up there at the one on uh, 34th and Osage. And people, it's like walking in to Cheers, you know, mm-hmm. like, Jake, I'm like Sam, you know, and it was kind of just that relationship. Because that's where we always got our fuel. So I, I liked it. I liked that. Just the people. I think the people are really nice. And then uh, that, that concludes the eight straight questions. I, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something uh, related to the local area. So what would you want other people to know about? What's something around here that, that you want them to know about or experience or see or whatever? Uh, so I like soccer. And they're trying to get an indoor professional club soccer team going in, in Amarillo. But it's actually one of my former club soccer coaches, uh, Chad Webb. He's a great coach. He coaches the girls, um, the women, I guess, at WT. And he's trying to get this indoor soccer team going. Um, and they're really trying to get the owners of the indoor football, the Arena League teams, mm-hmm. to see that they could generate more revenue by having this indoor soccer league. And soccer is just phenomenal. You can play. I still play indoor um, to this day, you know. And I just think that if we could get as many people to come to all those exhibition games upcoming this next summer as possible, mm-hmm. I think it would just be a great addition, something to do. Right. You know. So something. a previous episode, I, I just talked to Stephanie Tucker. Okay. Uh, cool. Who is the owner of the league and of FC Amarillo and uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, is putting all that together. And so I, I played indoor soccer too. Uh-huh. I want you to describe to people who think they know what soccer is and they think, well, you know, one to nothing games right? that I could care less, you know, by these guys who have a single name and they're, you know, prancing about on the field or whatever. Yeah. yeah. T- tell me why indoor soccer is so different from World Cup soccer or, you know, kids soccer outside on a windy afternoon. Right, right. Well, the game is so much more compressed. There's not no out of bounds, but there's very few times where the ball actually goes out of play. So it's very fast. It's very quick. The skill level involved, the tricks that you do because you're in confined spaces are amazing. So um, Chad's got a couple of guys that act, I've actually played against and seen play, and they're phenomenal. And he's got a couple, I think three or four Brazilian guys that are just absolutely amazing. So the amount of just neat tricks mm-hmm. that you that you would see, um, and the game of the, the the pace of the game is so much faster. There's no lull. It's always going. It's it's closer to hockey than it really would be to, than to outdoor soccer. Yeah, you're playing passes off the wall. You're yeah. It's just it's quick. Boom, 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 boom. And the skill level is just and the trick level is going to be amazing. I think so. I'm. It's it's much more fun to play indoor soccer than it is to play outdoor soccer, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I think it's much more fun to watch. I think I think fans even the even the casual fan who doesn't know much about soccer, you see some of these guys grip it and heel it over the back of their head and run past somebody and hit a, hit a full volley into the back of the net. I mean, you just, you know, the skill level is going to be amazing. So really excited about it. Well, Jake, uh, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank right. you, Jason. 
And that concludes another episode of the Hey Amarillo podcast. I want to say thanks to ROI Online and Excel Energy for sponsoring the show. Thanks to Jake McWhorter for being my guest today and to Arborological Inc. for uh, letting him loose for an hour or so to not be doing anything related to trees other than talking about it. Thank you for listening. I appreciate those of you who listen to every episode. I appreciate those of you who pop in when uh, you're, you're interested in a certain guest or a certain topic. Thank you for being part of this show, being part of this community. You can find out more at heyamarillo.com. Follow us on Twitter at heyamarillo. Look us up on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Tell a friend about the show. Leave a review at whatever place you use to listen to podcasts. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.